Good morning. It is good to see you here this morning. As always, we're thankful for your presence and for the God of heaven who's blessed us yet again uh, to be in his midst and to enjoy the fellowship and communion of each other. Our subject this morning is putting you in remembrance. That's Peter's language in 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 1, where we'll be this morning looking at chapter 1 and the things pertaining to that. When you read the Bible, it is the case that you will notice a recurring theme, and that is that God says the same things over and over and over again. And there are any number of reasons for that. Reminders are important, namely, but also it could be because repetition is the key to learning. In fact, that's how we all learn. We get repeated and repeated and repeated, and over time, we come to know and understand how to do a thing or how a thing works and so forth. And so repetition is the key to learning, and so God keeps saying things. It could be because people forget things. That's also a reason to remind. In fact, we all know that very well. Uh, try as best we can, but we forget things. And sometimes you forget what you were supposed to remember by your reminder. I set a reminder, but I forgot why I set the reminder. And if you haven't lived long enough to go into a room yet and not remember why you entered that room, well, you just keep living. It'll happen to you. Uh, but we forget things, and so we need to be reminded. It could be a matter of unbelief, and sometimes that's the case. You can almost see and hear somebody express, they really don't believe what you're telling them, and so you repeat it again and again, trying to get them to understand and ultimately believe what's being said. There are other reasons for reminders, though. Among them could be to keep important things before us. There are important dates, like you know your anniversary is coming up. Uh, there are important dates, like you know the birthday is coming up. There are important events in life, and so we get reminded. There are things we don't want to forget, and there are things that future generations need to know. That's seen in Exodus chapter 12, verses 25 to 27. Concerning the Passover, God says, when your sons see this and they ask, why are we doing it? You tell them. And so a future generation would need to know why we're doing what we're doing. They need to be reminded. The previous generation needs to know, and it needs to be kept before us. In fact, we do it every week in one way or another, and throughout the assemblies of our Lord, we partake of the Lord's Supper. Why do we do that? Well, among the myriad of reasons that be given is, frankly, Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. It helps us to remember the Lord every week, to be reminded of what He did for us and what our sins cost and the great gift of God and how sin was triumphed over by the death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord. And so we are reminded week after week. That's what Peter is writing in his epistle. If you add to that the thought that persecution and hard times may also be a time for people to be reminded of the important truths that they know. That's what's happening in the first century world. All of these things could be true, and we would add that one to it. They are scattered. They are battered. They are on the run for their lives, and some have even given their lives in service to the Lord. And as a result of that, they could become weary 
and worn and doubtful and downtrodden. And so Peter says, beloved, this second epistle I'm writing to you to stir up your mind by remembrance. I want to put you into some remembrance of some things. And so this morning, we will talk about that. Three things that Peter reminded the saints of that certainly are beneficial to us. And Lord's will, this evening, we'll talk about three more, and we'll make some application specifically to Westside and some things that we could be reminded of. Before we go further, let me announce before I forget that the Thursday class will not meet for the next two weeks. If you have been participating in the Thursday class, we will not meet for the next two weeks. I will be out of, I won't be available, so that'll be a problem. Uh, but after that, also, before I forget, if you were in the foundations class this morning and then you didn't hear the uh, homework assignment, it's because I forgot to give it. So let me do that now. John chapter 4, if you'll read that, then we'll pick up there, uh, Lord's will. That said, if you have your Bibles and you would turn to 2 Peter chapter 1, we'll talk about three things this morning that Peter reminded his audience of and three things that are beneficial for us to be reminded of. Number one, Peter talks about and reminds them of the faith that they possessed. He says in verse number one, Simon Peter, a servant of and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained, note the expression, like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. One of the things that he wanted to remind them of is that, first of all, you have obtained it. How did they obtain it? They've obeyed the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news that Jesus is the divine Son of God, and that He died according to the Scriptures, that He was buried according to the Scriptures, and that He rose the third day according to the Scriptures, 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4. They had obeyed that. In fact, there is only one faith to be obeyed, only one gospel, and so he uses the word like. It's the same one. For whom? Well, in the first century, that would absolutely be critical for the Jew and the Gentile to understand, that we possess, Jew, Gentile, the same faith. There was a time when the Jews and Gentiles were at odds with each other. They were enemies one of another. The Jews, as you know, were God's chosen special people. You could read that in Exodus chapter 19, verses 4 through 6, where God says, you see, I have called you out. I have bore you on eagle's wings and brought you unto myself. Therefore, you shall be a special people, a peculiar treasure to me above all people. That's the state of God's people. The Jews were that. For 1,500 years, they were God's chosen special people. In fact, it seems very clear they thought it it would always be that way. And then Jesus came. And Jesus came and began to talk about fulfilling the law. And Jesus evidenced in his personal ministry a concern for Gentiles. 
You can see him in John chapter 4 speaking with the woman from Samaria. You can see him in Luke chapter 4 referencing even in the Old Testament the widow that was helped by Elijah and Naaman the leper cleansed by Elisha. And he says that clearly God is concerned for the Gentiles. Well, the Jews and the Gentiles once were at odds, but now in Christ they would be one. It's noteworthy that the apostle Peter is the one who preached it. Peter is one of those preaching in Acts chapter 2. When they say, men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved by God, signs and wonders and miracles which God did by him in the midst of you. Peter says, along with the others, you killed him and God raised him. The end of that sermon in verse 36, again, Peter says, Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly God has made that same Jesus whom you have crucified, both Lord and Christ. About 3,000 souls obey the gospel that day. Please understand, they're all Jews. In Acts chapter 4, when those who hear and see the man that was lame healed and they obey the gospel, multitudes, they're all Jews. When the Bible will say about 5,000 more were added, please understand, we have one church in Jerusalem filled with nothing but Jews, 8,000 plus multitudes, whatever that would number. The gospel hasn't gone to anyone who's not a Jew yet. Acts 4, 5, 6, 7, all Jews. Peter's part of that sermon was the promises unto you and to all them that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call, but up to that point, no one afar off had ever heard it. It's not Acts chapter 8. Those are half-Jews, the Samaritans. It's not until we get to Acts chapter 9, where Peter is near Joppa, maybe by God's providence. He's healing and bringing from the dead Dorcas, and he's at a man's house named Simon, who is a tanner. And it's in that event where God gives Peter the vision of the sheet, let down three times, full of what Peter would consider unclean animals. And God says, rise, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter would respond, no, Lord, nothing unclean has ever gone into my mouth. And God says to Peter, what God has cleansed, don't you call common. And at the same time, or near it, Acts chapter 10, you find God sending an angel to Cornelius to tell him, send men to Joppa for one named Simon. And when he comes, he will tell you words whereby you and your household might be saved. For the first time, someone not of Jewish heritage will obey the gospel. And it's in that moment where Peter says, I now perceive, I understand, God is no respecter of persons, but in every nation, he that worketh righteousness is accepted of him. Peter now understands that this one gospel is for all men, for all time. And by the time he writes this epistle, he well understands and knows the church is filled with people from all walks of life, Jews and Gentiles. And what are they? They're all one in Christ. Maybe in the midst of persecution, they would need to be reminded of their faith. What kind of faith it was, it's the same kind of faith because there's only one. It is to the Jew first and also to the Greek. 
And what does this one faith provide? Unity. What's to be avoided? Division. We are all to speak the same thing and be of the same mind. Why? We have a like, precious faith. Peter says, you have obtained this. How did you do it? Through the righteousness of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. The thing that cements God's people is their faith and God's righteousness and the Lord's righteousness. The world, on the other hand, will be forever divided. The world, on the other hand, will be committed to wickedness. The world, on the other hand, will hate and hate each other, but not those in Christ. Because everybody in Christ has come out of the world. Called out how? By the gospel. Into what? A relationship with God, the Christ, the Holy Spirit, and each other. And what are we now? We are all one in Christ with a like, precious faith. Maybe in the midst of persecution, adversity, and hardship, Peter begins by saying, let me remind you that we all have a like, precious faith through the righteousness of God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Number two, Peter reminds them that God has given us everything we need for this life and for the life to come. He says that in verses 2 down to verse number 4. He opens by saying, grace and peace be multiplied unto you. How? Through the knowledge of God and of our Lord Jesus Christ. According as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain to life and godliness. How did we get it? Through the knowledge of him who hath called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these, by what? These great and precious promises, ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Before we go further, let's go back and look at those verses just a little. Peter says that we have this through knowledge of God. Later, the very next point, he'll talk about adding to our faith, and he will say knowledge is what's needed. He says, secondly, that this is according to God's divine power. When we talk about the Lord's church and the Lord's people, please understand, we are not talking about something of human origin. We are not talking about something that's one like many others. It's not. No, the church is uniquely different in every way. The church is the body of Christ. The church belongs to Christ. The church is from heaven. John 18, 36, Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. That one faith that they possessed, they didn't originate that. That one gospel that they obeyed, they didn't come up with that. No man sat down and said, you know what, let's do this and produce that. That's not the way it worked at all, a thousand times, no. This has been given by the divine power. That's how it's coming to be. And what did he give? Everything that pertains to life and godliness. Well, what are some of those things? He's given us the Savior. God did that. In fact, Jesus refers to as God's unspeakable gift. He's often referenced as that or someone that's been given to men. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. 
While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He was delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God. How did we get this and what did he give? He gave us nothing less than his divine son. The divine son of God is what God gave. That's what we have. What else do we have? We have the kingdom, the church, the temple of God. Peter will refer to us as living stones in the house of God. If one does not appreciate the temple and its significance, go back and read the Old Testament. Go back and read the building and the making of the tabernacle and listen to the detail and the intricate design and looking at the pieces in each part of that tabernacle and how it's built, how it's to be transported, how it's to be cared for, how God then meets them at the tabernacle. But then move to the more permanent structure and notice the temple. Read 1 Kings 8 and listen to what Solomon did by way of the building of that, that, that structure. And, and, and look at the detail and the design and the value and ultimately get to the church where it's not a physical building. It's not stone. It's souls. And Peter will say, you are a living stone making up the house of God. And in that house, you get to be a priest unto God. And you get to offer spiritual sacrifices, holy and acceptable unto God. Maybe we need to be reminded of just what we have been blessed with. It's not just worship, it's fellowship, a family, a community. Jesus said to his apostles, if you followed me, anybody who has followed me will have houses and mothers and fathers and lands in this life and in the next eternal life. Why don't you go home sometime this afternoon between services and sit down and reminisce about what the church has meant to you. Go back through your mind and remember when you first obeyed it. Maybe find a person or two who's been instrumental in helping you with your life. Go back and remember elders and preachers and deacons and members and Sunday school teachers and those individuals who cared about you, nurtured you, helped you. Who gave you that? You know, this is not a lodge. This is not that. This is not a community of of people interested that happen to have some, some similar interests. This is not that. No, you could have come from the world and a family that was broken. You could have come from the world and abandonment. You could have come from the world and abuse. And you know what God said? Come into my family. Become my child and be a brother and a sister to everyone else who's left that world and have a like precious faith. What's he given us? He's given us the church, the kingdom, the body, the family of God. What else has he given? He's given us his word to instruct us, to guide us, to teach us, to enable us to grow. Peter says he's given us everything that pertains to life and godliness. I heard an illustration about the idea of something pertaining to something, and it went something like this. A person said, you know, if you have a car, you have some things that are absolutely essential if the car is to run. 
We might say that the car certainly needs an engine, unless it's electric, I suppose, it needs a battery. But it needs something to power it. You need gas. You, 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 you need things that ha absolutely, but then there are a lot of things that simply pertain to the car. They don't make it run, but they sure are nice. Air conditioning doesn't make a car run, does it? But it pertains to the car. Seats don't actually make a car run, does it? But aren't you happy to sit down in your car? You began to look at all the things that simply pertain to the car. They're not essentials. You know what Peter is saying is God didn't give us the bare bones essentials. He gave us everything that pertains to life. If you need it in this life, God has given it. If you need it in this life, God has provided it. But he's gone so much more than that. He's given us everything that pertains to life and godliness. We know how to live right with him, and we know how to live right in our, with our fellow man. We have everything. In fact, Peter says what he's given us is he's done it by these great and precious promises. How can we be sure? Because God has promised. How are the promises of God sure? At least two ways. Number one, the nature of God. Since God is all-powerful, he can do whatever he promised. Number two, the character of God. Since God is perfect, he will do whatever he promised. He will keep his word. God has simply given us everything that pertains to life and godliness. And Peter says he has done this through the knowledge of his son. It might be the case that Christians need to be reminded. Maybe again, especially in the midst of persecution, hardship, and trial, but even in peace and good times, it's good to be reminded that faith is the victory that overcomes the world, and you have that. God has given you a like precious faith, and that you have all you need. God has given that. If you're a Christian, you have no lack in Christ. Colossians 2, 9 and 10, you are complete in Him. There is nothing lacking. You need nothing more than what God has given his family and his children. Number three, we need to add to our faith. We might say it this way. We need to grow. Verses five down to verse number seven. The verse opens with these words, and besides this, you ever been talking to someone and then said something like that? And besides that, let me... And besides, or in addition, what you're saying is the same thing Peter is saying. I've already said some things, and those things are very important. You have a faith, and God has given us everything. And besides this, now then, besides this, Peter says, do something. What's he say? Giving all diligence. Add to your faith virtue and the virtue, knowledge, and to knowledge, temperance, or self-control, and to temperance, patience, and to patience, godliness, and to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, charity. What Peter and the rest of the New Testament is saying is, faith is the beginning point. It's the start point. When we are teaching somebody the gospel, we're trying to move them to faith. We're trying to move them to conviction and to trust in God and in Christ and the power of his resurrection. And we teach them the gospel. 
And when they hear it and they believe it, they trust it, they repent, they confess, they move, and as a result, they're baptized. And now they're ready to walk in newness of life. That's the beginning of the journey, not the end. Oh, Peter says, now then, add to your faith. It's fearful if too many Christians, yet any Christian, begins to believe that this is the end point and not the start point. It is the end in one sense. It's the end of being lost. That's true. It's the end of carrying around sin. You don't have to do that anymore. That's true. It's the end of being in the world as opposed to being in Christ. That's true. But it's the beginning of our walk with God. And from here, Peter says, add to your faith. Maybe they needed to be reminded of that. The, the Greek word here is epikorgeo. It means to furnish besides or to supply. It's not simply adding as in one plus one plus one plus one plus one, and then you have them all. It's not that. It's not that you develop one and then you stop, and once it's fully developed, you add another. It's not that. This idea or this word actually is more of a circle, a chorus, a, a, a harmony together, a, a dance leader at one point it's used, and it's, it's the idea of furnishing. There is a ring involved, a choir, so to speak. You're, you're actually then leading one thing into another as it's growing and developing, and it's all in harmony and concert and working together. That's what's being done. And what's the symphony being played? It's, it's faith and it's knowledge and it's virtue and it's temper and it's all of those things bleeding into and leading out of one into another. That's what's happening here. Peter says you're to do that. Well, who's to do that? He says you are. How are you to do that? You know, the Bible has this consistent way of when it wants to describe effort, it uses the word diligent. Giving all diligence. That's the idea. Same word over there in 2 Timothy 2.15. Give diligence, King James, study to show yourself approved unto God. Workmen that needed not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Maybe in another series of sermons, we'll come back and we'll, we'll look at each one of the words that's in there listed. But this morning, though, let's just focus on the word knowledge. That's what he says. Add to your faith, virtue to virtue, knowledge. Knowledge. We have a saying about knowledge. We say, knowledge is power. We also note that knowledge is preventive. Well, why is knowledge so powerful? Because when you know better, what's the rest of that expression? You can do better. When you know you can do, that's the source of knowledge. How often have you said, if I had only known how often have you lamented, if I knew then what I know? What are you saying by that? You're saying, man, there is so much knowledge. There's so much power in knowledge. I just wish I had it sooner. I wish I had access to it sooner. On the other hand, what does knowledge do? It prevents. Sometimes your children come to you and they say, I'm going to do A. And they say, oh, your parents say, no, 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 no. You can't do that. Why? I know something you don't know. 
And if you did that, boy, it would go terrible for you. Don't do that. Why? Because knowledge will prevent you. Why aren't you going to do that? Because I know better than to do that. I've heard the expression, do you have some money? And they say, yes, and sense with it. What are you saying? I know not to give it to you. That's what you're saying. I know. I have not. Yes, I have it. And since, I'm not going to do that. I know better. That's the, the power of knowledge. It empowers us to know the truth. It protects us from being deceived by error. And that's why Christianity is a learned religion. We, we don't talk in terms of feeling God. That's not how we express it because that's not how Scripture expresses it. We, we don't go around saying, I feel this, and that's what's leading me. We don't talk like that, and we encourage people not to talk like that. Now, sometimes we're accused of not feeling at all, and well, that wouldn't be true. It's not the case that, that our faith doesn't feel, because it does feel. When faith is properly produced, there's feeling to the faith. When you learn that Jesus Christ is the divine Son of God, that's a matter of knowledge. When you learn that Jesus came to the earth and took on flesh to die for your sins, that's a matter of knowledge. And when you learn that Jesus Christ is the divine Son of God, He took on flesh to die for your sins, and then when you see Him suffer for your sins, well, see, that knowledge produces feelings. How do you feel when Judas betrays him? How do you feel when he's lied upon? How do you feel when he's in the garden crying over your sins and mine? How do you feel when he's carrying his cross? How do you feel when the crown of thorns is placed on his head? How do you feel when they beat him mercilessly? How do you feel when he is nailed to the cross, hoisted in the air for your sins and mine and the sins of the world. You see, it's not that faith doesn't feel. It's that the feelings don't produce the faith. Faith properly understood, it sure does feel. But it's because it has knowledge that produces the feelings. What Peter is saying is, add to your faith knowledge. Christianity is a learned religion. And when we learn, we feel. When we learn, we act. When we learn, we grow. How are you going to do that? Peter says, give diligence. Give diligence to do that. Knowledge is how that's done. In fact, Peter will use the word knowledge several times in these first few verses. It's there in verse number two. Grace, peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge. It's there in verse number three. Everything pertaining to life and godliness through the knowledge of him. It's there again in verse number five. Supply and add to your faith knowledge. Six, knowledge. Chapter two and verse number 20. Peter says, but if after they have escaped the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. In chapter 3 and verse 18, he simply says it this way, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Christian friend, as Peter reminded his audience, let me remind you, we need to be reminded 
Every now and again, it's good, even when we know it, to be reminded that we have a like precious faith. Lord's Church is not a club or a social network or a group. No, it's not. It's the body of Christ purchased with his blood, made family, tied together by the blood of Jesus and the faith of every member. We have a like precious faith. Need to be reminded that we're complete, that God has given us all things. There is nothing that the world has that will make us more complete than what God has provided. Himself, His Savior, His church, His Bible, His Word, nothing that the world has that makes us any better off. God has given us everything. Number three, remember to grow, to add to your faith and be diligent to do that. This evening, we'll continue. Stay here in this chapter. And immediately, Peter begins to address what happens if we don't? What happens if we don't do the things he's already reminded us of? And what happens if we do? There's great blessings to be had, terrible consequences if we don't. You're not a Christian this morning. We implore you to become one. In fact, we remind you every week. At the end of every sermon, we pause and we say, hey, come to Jesus. Will you obey the gospel this morning? Will you let God save you from your sins so that you could be his child? It's a reminder that the opportunity is still available. The door is still open. The arms of God are still accepting. The spirit and the bride are still saying, come. Whosoever will, let him come. Believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Repent, change your heart and your mind. Confess the name of Jesus. Be buried with him in baptism for the forgiveness of your sins. And let God translate you out of darkness into the kingdom of his dear Son. Let him save you from your sins. If you haven't done that, we beg you to do that. If you are his child, the world can be a handful. There's no doubt about that. Full of distractions. Sometimes it can get us off track. It's good just to be reminded. We have a like precious faith. God has given us everything. We need to grow and add to our faith. If we can help you with these or any other issue, we invite you to come this morning as we stand and as we sing.